Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. My name is Haig Ballion. I am a writer and a podcaster, and Mark Dreyer is on the other end of the line. He is the China Sports Insider, and this is the China Sports Insider podcast. This week, the world is talking about a Chinese tennis player. No, not that one. And there's a new youth football league in China. Will it make a difference down the line? And then we're going to talk to tennis great Patrick McEnroe. Mark, how are you? I am very well, Hi, You know, like, we've had we've had a lot of good guests on the show recently. I know that sounds like we've been bragging, but it's been, we've had some really, really fun interviews. And you know when you have an interview and it, you're just like, yes, that was awesome. Well, we just got off the line with Patrick and it was awesome. I think we both enjoyed it for kind of different, you know, you are, you, you're a tennis nerd if I can call you that but you love tennis above all sports I would say I I also like tennis but like he just ha- he was so insightful I'm so excited for people to listen to, to what he had to say just his perceptions on China tennis on on Jiang Wen, uh, and, and so much more so um we got a few other things to talk about but but please don't go away because Patrick was it was great I've been watching and listening to Patrick McEnroe for so long, for decades. And it's just one of those moments, like I, I just had a smile on my face the entire time we were talking to him. It's, it's like one of those out of body moments, you know, when you're, uh, it's like, it's like what, is, he, is he really talking back to me right now? This, is, this doesn't make any sense. So yeah, I mean, I hope people uh, enjoy it. I hope, I hope listeners enjoy it as much as I enjoyed it because I thought he was fantastic. Yeah, I think the only time in my life I've ever been genuinely starstruck was when um, I interviewed Pele in New York uh, a number of years ago. And after the interview, he got up and gave me a hug. And I was like, that was pretty cool. I'm, I'm not going to wash for a week. But, <laughs> but, but you know, yeah, it's, oh, still, no. <laughs> it's still fun to, um, it's still definitely fun, even if not starstruck, still fun to, to speak to the legends. And, and Patrick certainly is that. Mark, let's talk about Zhang Qinwen, shall we? Yeah. She made a really deep run at the French Open. Uh, eventually losing to world number one, Iga Sriantek, in three sets. And after the match, she said she was suffering from menstrual cramps, which couldn't have been easy uh, playing the world number one. You know, I watched her second round match against uh, Simona Halep, and she looked amazing. Uh, and then she got that big Christopher Clary piece in the, uh, in the New York Times. You know, did, what, were, what were your takeaways from, from her run and from that piece? 
Well, there's some really interesting parallels there with Lina. You know, they both uh, uh, have, have spent a lot of time uh, in, in Wuhan and trained with some of the same coaches. Um, and, and Jung is, she's just 19. Lina, of course, kind of made it when she was much later on in her career. So I think that's one big difference. But she's also known as pretty powerful, a big hitter. Um, there, there was, there's a bunch of of uh, you know, there's a lot of young uh, female players coming up. Not just uh, the Chinese, but we'll talk about them in a, in a sec. But you know, the world number one that that she lost to uh, is only 20, and uh, she's obviously been on the scene. So in some ways, coming, you know, you could say that Jung is a bit of a late developer. Um, she played Emma Raducanu um, a few years back at the uh, the U.S. Open uh, girls tournament 2018. And so there's been a few that have already made it uh, into the top ranks. But I think this is Jung's uh, time. She's already pre the French Open where she's she got to the to the last 16. She'll definitely get some good ranking points from being Halep, um, Elise Cornet as well. Um, so she'll be moving up. But she's already at number 74. So for people who haven't been following women's tennis, she's had a pretty strong year so far. Um, there are a couple of other Chinese players that uh, haven't yet made that next step. And again, you know, we're, we're, we're not talking about, we're talking last 16. There's still a long way to go, I think, for, for, for Zheng Xinwen. But there's two uh, uh, Wongs, Wang Xinyu and Wang Xiyu. Uh, uh, and it's confusing because their names are very, very similar, um, at least to, to an international audience. They're kind of defi- uh, distinguished as, as lefty and righty because they, uh, you know, one, one is right-handed, one is left-handed. The future is looking very, very bright, I think, for Chinese tennis. As always, we're only talking about the women, but, uh, you know, for, for Chinese female tennis, it, it's, it's looking very good. And I thought, she, you know, yes, she said she had uh, um, stomach cramps, menstrual pains uh, in, that, uh, in that defeat, but wow, was she impressive in that first set. She was 5-2 down and then came back to a, a tiebreaker, was 5-2 down in the tiebreaker and, and won it 7-5. And she just looked gutsy. Uh, the injury, she had a heavily strapped um, thigh as well. Look, that's one of the challenges she's going to have to face. It's about managing the body. You know, um, lots of people can have, not, not, not to, to, to put this down, put it down in any way, but lots of people can have a good set um, and, and then they're not able to, to, to maintain that form. But I think if you look at um, her opponent's record, it was a 31 uh, a 31 win streak is now up to 34 uh, at the time of recording. And she hadn't dropped a set for 37 days. So, you know, w- uh, the, the way that she took that set was was unbelievable. I stayed up late to watch it, and I'm glad I did. Yeah, bodes well for, for her, I think. Suyantik has just been phenomenal. Ever since world number one, former world number one, Ash Barty left the sport, I mean, she really has slipped into that role in an amazing way. So uh, fantastic. Yeah, unstoppable Jung. right now. I do want to just mention it was what was really encouraging to see a lot of people that I noticed just anecdotally, but you know, on WeChat and so on, posting about this and, and several comments saying, I haven't watched women's tennis for a while. Uh, this is great to see. And a lot of people saying, you know, she's the next Lena. Now, of course, premature, but you know, she has been tipped for the top. I also heard, you know, uh, Nike China people, folks there have kind of penciled her in for a top five role in the future, but they haven't really spoken publicly about this, not wanting to put too much pressure too early. And, and that's understandable, you know, but I think that there are very, very high hopes for Jung inside the game, but it was great to see people kind of reinvigorated. Her couple of uh, wins beforehand, you know, had, had got some attraction in, in, uh, in China. And so people were watching this game in a way that they hadn't been tuning into women's tennis for a while. 
Well, Mark, speaking of high hopes, uh, there is a new football league in China. Uh, there are not that many details right now, but it looks like the league kicks off this year. And basically, any organized team can join. Uh, there's going to be teams ranging from under 8 to under 19 for both boys and girls. And I guess the goal is to find and develop promising young players for both the men's and women's national teams. Is this a step in the right direction? <laughs> well, you know, on paper, it sounds promising, but, you know, I think you've got to look at the realities. And, um, you know, China's been trying to do this for a while and we haven't seen any tangible results. So, yes, it's a sort of, uh, you know, I, it's a it's a good piece in a in a Xinhua news story. But, um, you know, until we actually see something happening, um, I don't see it being any different to anything else. It's I, I wouldn't exactly say there's been much fanfare around it. You know, I, 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 th- I think you pulled some some fairly amusing quotes <laughs> if you want to share some. Well, there was another. Yeah, yeah there was another story in, in Xinhua as well about the Chinese national team improving under head coach uh, Li Tie. So that, that's that's from the uh, the goalkeeping coach. And he said, let's see, let me let me pull up the quote. Data showed that in the last phase of Asia World Cup qualifiers, our players' performances were about 30% better than theirs in the Chinese Super League. Now, 30% better, that's, 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 a, that's a very impressive number, <laughs> number but I have it no is, idea what it is. And, you know, exactly. Would love to know exactly what that means. Did they score 30% more goals? No. Did they win 30% more games? Certainly not. Uh, were the fans... 30% happier? Well, there weren't any fans watching. Um, <laughs> you, you know, maybe maybe their, their wearables were like, well, their recovery rate is 30% better. Maybe fitness levels is the only thing I can think of. But it's it's just the kind of farcical thing that, that you know, just turns people off, really. And it's just, you know, the last thing we need is more, um, you know, eye-rolling quotes like that. But, uh, you know, as 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 long-term listeners will know, we would love to see China progress. We'd love to see China qualify for a World Cup. Um, unfortunately, there's just no real moves being made in the right direction. Um, CSL is is about to start, and we've talked about that. And and you know, it's uh, it just feels kind of like another almost meaningless season. You know, who's who's paying attention at this point, mm-hmm. really? Yeah. yeah. You know, Mark, Mark, before we go, I, I had one question about the youth league. How does the formation of that league compare to what is what happens in Europe or what happens in the UK? Like, how, how are young players found and developed uh, there? And, and why can't that happen here in China? You know, how, how long have we got? But <laughs> you know, I'll try to try to summarize this. You know, this shouldn't be something new. You know, when China's launching this kind of like, hey, we've got this new youth league, like there should already be countless, countless youth, you know, pyramids of football in the way that there is in every other country. You know, this shouldn't be something that they're having to institute in 2022. You know, what happened to the to the proposals that were launched in 2015? You know, why is it taking seven years? And of course, they, we've heard endless youth initiatives and the fact that they're having to do another one now for me, it's just proof that the previous ones didn't work. So, you know, instead of sticking to a long-term plan that makes sense on paper, you know, we've got another great idea that that, uh, is basically going to be rehashing the same old elements. And what confidence can anyone have that this is going to be producing any different results? 
last week you were on Patrick McEnroe's uh, podcast, and this week he returns the favor. Uh, just to remind our audience, who is Patrick McEnroe? Well, Patrick is a former uh, U.S. Davis Cup captain and uh, a, a pretty decent player in his own right, but also uh, well-known for being the brother of, of John McEnroe, who's one of the top players in the history of the game. Uh, and, uh, you know, Patrick does still does a lot of commentary work for ESPN. He's just been over at the, the French Open uh, in Paris right now, so intimately involved and has his own uh, tennis podcast called Holding Court. Always a very entertaining uh, speaker, broadcaster, and just incredibly knowledgeable guy. You know, he's been there and done all of that. So uh, really fun to talk to him uh, whenever we get the occasion. So, Patrick, um, it, it was fantastic for, for, for me to be on your podcast, uh, the Holding Court podcast, just, uh, just a few weeks ago. And you'd kindly offered then to, to return the favor. And I was thinking, you know, at some unspecified point in the future, but we've just had a big... China tennis story uh, with Zhang Qinwen, uh, the, the first, well, the, the sixth Chinese uh, player to, to reach the, the last 16 in the Grand Slam. So pretty significant. Um, and you were there. You were in Roland Garros. You're now just back in New York. Um, so, so first of all, like, how, what, how, how aware were you of her performance? You know, did you watch her play at all? What was the buzz around uh, Zhang's run uh, to the last 16? Well, I think the buzz was um, building because obviously, you know, she had a huge win over Simona Halep, who's won the tournament before, who's won uh, Wimbledon before. And the, I think it was not so much the win, but the way she did it, you know, dropping the first set um, and then just absolutely steamrolling Simona, which is not easy to do, particularly on a clay court. So, uh, you know, I had heard about her a little bit. I, I, to be honest, I didn't know much about her. I just kind of seen her in the last 12 to 18 months, you know, creeping up the rankings. But boy, when I watched her play and then I watched her take the first set, I was I was there when she played Sviantec. And by the way, I predicted at the beginning of the tournament that Sviantec would win the tournament without dropping a set. So uh, she got me. She got that first set in the tie break. Um, you know, then, you know, she had some issues, obviously some physical issues, but I'm just very impressed with her all around game. You know, she's obviously a very strong young woman, very physical type player, um, but also has some finesse as well. So, uh, it was the first time I, I really got to get a good look at her and she is impressive. And I think, um, her upside is massive. I mean, you say massive, um, you know, I've kind of heard from people over at this side, People at Nike China, you know, of course, they're, they're invested, but they've, you know, the, the phrase top five has been kind of thrown out there. I mean, is that, is that realistic? You know, is it too early to be talking about the next Lina at this stage? I don't think it's too early. I mean, I think obviously there's, there are always a lot of things that come along uh, to a talented young player like she is, uh, how they deal with, um, you know, more attention and how she'll deal with more pressure. Uh, now that people are talking about her, the other players will start to, you know, pay a lot more attention to her, scout her. So it it, it doesn't get any easier, I think, once you kind of elevate yourself. But I think she's got the full package. I mean, she's also got some great finesse. She seems to have a very good team around her. Uh, I know she spent a lot of time in Europe training in Spain. Uh, so she seems very comfortable on clay. Um but the type of game she has and the and the physicality she has, which will only get better. She's only 19, obviously. Uh, 
I do think it's very possible uh, that she could be a top five and definitely be a contender in every major. I mean, because she looks to me like she could play on any surface. You know, obviously, I don't know when she do, when did she leave China to go to Spain? Do you know how old she was? She's she's um, she she left quite a number of years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you, you've probably heard her speak. Like her English is is yeah, decent. Very good. Um, she can certainly hold her own in press conferences. So I don't know the exact age, but I want to say you know early teens. That's what I would think. And and and, and I'm think and I'm I'm thinking that you know growing up in China, she mostly played on hard courts probably. Um, so that's probably her most natural service. But you could see her movement on clay was excellent, and. Uh, I don't know how much he's played on grass. There's always a little bit of a uh, of a learning curve on grass. It's just a different bounce and so on, and the and the skills needed there. But I mean, she's she looks like the type of player to me that can uh, win on any surface. And uh, again, she's got a little bit of that moxie. You know, she's got some personality. Uh, even the fact that she talked about her menstrual cycle, you know, affected her in that in that match, I thought was great. I mean, you know, because a lot of people, it's like taboo somehow to talk about that um, if you're a female athlete. And, you know, it's certainly a factor. And uh, most people don't want to talk about it. That's their prerogative. But I just think it shows her uh, her personality, you know, that she just comes right out and says, hey, this this has affected me. It affects a lot of women in big time sports and, and, and certainly in tennis. So I think all of those things lead me to believe that she's sort of ready for the big time, you know, emotionally as well. She's got the game, obviously, but then that's, there, there's that emotional side, the team around you, you know, being able to support you and so on as you, you know, get more attention. She'll get a lot more requests for interviews. I'm sure she's been getting that from, from people like you in China, but just all over the world now, I think, you know, she really kind of announced herself at this year's French Open. Now, you, you mentioned about the other players looking to kind of scout her and stuff like that. Like, have, have you kind of heard uh, other players maybe talk about her? And, and not just her, you know, right now, there's no one really, really top from the Chinese um, side of things, you know, in the rankings. But there's, a, there's six in the top 50. And, right. you know, uh, Zhang is 19. There's a couple of, uh, a couple of you know, Wang Xinyu and Wang Xiyu kind of, confusingly similarly named players, both 20-year-olds, uh, also in the top 150, and they've been kind of tipped for the top. Uh, they all kind of made some some dents in the junior levels. Are people beginning to, to kind of talk about, oh, you know, the next wave of Chinese tennis? Or do you think it's, it's you know, they're, they're still just focused on the top 10 and, and they still have an, a bit of an element of surprise, I suppose? Uh, they're definitely talking about it. I mean, people are definitely talking about it. And the good news for Zhang is that she's got these other players around her age. And that is always positive for players when they have other players pushing them from their own country. We've had that in the U.S. in the last couple of years with our, you know, some of our young, good young male players. We finally got a nice group with, you know, Taylor Fritz and Riley Opelka and Francis Tiafo and Tommy Paul. Um, you know, those guys are literally like exactly the same age. They were playing the junior championships in the U.S. in the 18 and under together, you know, five, six, seven years ago. And as you go into the pros, you know, if you're the singular player, particularly from a country, you know, as big as the United States or China, there's so much pressure on you. There's so much attention, which can really hurt. I've seen that happen with some of our American guys. You know, Jack Sock kind of came along by himself. Um, so it can be difficult if you're in that situation. But I think the good news 
um, in, in, for China right now is you've got multiple players, and one does well, and the other one says, "Hey, well, I could do that. I beat her in the juniors. I, you know, I can get that." And it's, so it's a very positive to have a couple of uh, of other players from your country, especially around the same age. But from again, from what I've seen from Zhang, uh, I mean, she's got the the whole package. Um, and as she gets experience playing at this level, which she's going to get quickly, um, I think there's absolutely no doubt that she can be a top player. Just before we move on uh, to a few other topics I wanted to ask you about, um, do, you, do you know much about uh, her Spanish coach and, and the setup that she has? Are they, are they sort of well-known people in the game? I know the, the coach that she had was sort of like a, you know, a, a, a mid-level ranked player himself, but seems to have kind of come into his own from the coaching side. You know, that's very typical of what's, go, you know, what's going on in, in Spain. Um, there's a lot of excellent co- ex-players. And generally speaking, it's pretty rare to see an ex-top player become a great coach. You know, it's usually those guys that were sort of mid-ranked kind of players um, because they, you know, there's a certain work ethic that they understand to get to, you know, Juan Carlos Ferreira, I should say, though, was a great player. And he's turning out to be a heck of a coach with um with Carlos Alcaraz. So it can happen, but in Spain there are a lot of there are a lot of facilities, a lot of academies and a lot of these ex-players that you know, it's tennis is in their blood for a lot of these guys in Spain. You know, they love it. Um I know quite a few of them. I don't know this coach that well to be honest with you, but I just I know the Spanish system of how they coach and how they sort of organize practices and how they kind of teach their players how to play and it's very systematic and it's very efficient you know and it takes great footwork it takes great uh focus and 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 what i call shot discipline you know what's the right shot and so when you take someone like zhang who's got massive physical tools you know just natural strength and, and ability and then you put that sort of mentality into her game um, you've got the makings of something tremendous, you know, because uh, you get that work ethic, that understanding from the sort of the Spanish style system of how to how to set points up, what's the right shot, what's the percentage shot to hit at the right time, and so when you can combine that with just great raw athleticism, you can have quite a package. It's 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 really exciting. I think from from this this side of the world, just looking at her, and and it was great to see a lot of Chinese tennis fans who, as you probably know, and we'll get into this in a bit, you know, haven't seen a whole lot of tennis because it's basically been blocked outside of the slams. People were kind of saying online, you know, commenting, it's great to watch Chinese tennis again. I haven't watched a match for a, for a while, but they were very proud of what she did against Suyantek, even though she she obviously lost, but winning that first set was 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 fantastic, and it's. It's kind of bizarre, just the parallels. You know, she has that that same uh, background in Wuhan, which is where Lina is from, and she does seem to be a similar mix of this sort of, you know, rooted in the Chinese system and a really great grounding in the game. But then she's built on that with some foreign elements and a foreign coach and embraced the global side as well. And it kind of does seem to be that that perfect blend. You know, so often in China, it's like no. We need to do it the Chinese way. You know, we can learn from other people, but they don't really understand China. We need to do it that way. And and I think the most successful athletes that we've seen, and Lina is obviously the prime example, someone who who fully embraces both sides. You know, it's not about being Chinese or versus being global or being Western. It's just about being the best. 
Um, and and uh, hopefully, you know, as she becomes more famous, as we think she might, you know, she can kind of stick to to what her and her team thinks it's is a good path. I think, you know, I think that's going to be important. Let me, so let me get this straight first, Mark. So the French Open is being televised in China. Yes, it is. It is. Okay. So so since it's not a quote unquote part of the WTA tour. Um, by the way, you should listen to my podcast I did about a week ago with uh, with Steve Simon, the CEO of the WTA Tour. So that was very interesting. But to your point about Zhang, um, it's spot on. I mean, because, you know, tennis is unique in that the training aspect of tennis is very different, say, from other individual sports like swimming you know, diving, let's say, which I know is very popular in China. Um, obviously, gymnastics, you know, they've got unbelievable history there. Because in tennis, yes, it's an individual sport, but you need to play actually against other players from that are better than you, right? You know, in other words, you can't just learn the dive and just do it over and over again and take video. You actually have to compete against somebody that is your equal or better, and so, you know, whatever country, you, if you don't have those other players within your own country or within your own where you live, for example, um, you need to go to places where you can be challenged as you, you know, become a, like a teenage player, you know, you become really good. We see that even at our tennis academy in New York where, you know, sometimes our players, they get too good for the other kids in the academy and they say, oh, do I need to go to Florida? Do I need to go somewhere else? And the, the, the short answer is, in some cases, you do, uh, because tennis is, is, is it's, it's, you, you need that competition on a daily basis. So I think that it was the right move for her to do that. As you said, she does seem to have that, you know, the, the Chinese background and seems to be, you know, uh, proud of that. Um, and obviously, they put a lot of money, as we discussed on, on my, I discussed with you, Mark, on my podcast you know, the Chinese system has put a lot of money and effort into tennis over the last 20 years, and it's paid dividends, you know, particularly on the women's side, maybe started to happen on the men's side as well, too. They've had a lot more numbers in the women's game in the last 15 years. So the short answer to the question is it's a great move by her, and it also was smart by the Chinese Federation, you know, that obviously have backed her to realize that that was a good move for her. Um, you know, I remember Kei Nishikori, when he came out of Japan, you know, he was obviously a different system there. But similarly, uh, he had a big uh, sponsor from Sony, who was the head of Sony. And they sort of realized, OK, like, we're, you know, we need to send this kid to Florida, similar to, you know, Zhang going to Spain um, to get that training, that everyday training and that that preparation. So I think it was a great move and I think it's paying off in a big way. Okay, you you mentioned you know Nishikori there, and 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 you know the Asian swing was was historically such a big part of of the calendar. Uh, you know what are players today saying about a possible return to China? Do they miss it? Do they do, do they miss it at all? Do they kind of think like we can go back because they'll, they'll sort out this issue? Like, is Peng Shui still a topic, and how much does that perhaps differ from what you're hearing on the women's side versus the men's side? Uh, great question. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of different ways we could go there. I think as a player, you know, to put my old player hat on, 
it's a long time, so I got to I got to go way back to remember it. You know, play, you know, players will go where they're told to go. You know, I mean, where they can make money. You know, where they can compete. So, are there are players sitting around going, God, I'd love to go to you know China? No, I don't think they are. At the same from the same uh, standpoint, if their tournaments start opening up and the tours and and the Chinese government, you know, come to some whatever you want to call diplomacy agreement. Uh, when that happens, you know, players will go back there. There's no doubt about it. So, you you know, as a player, when you're touring, you look at the schedule, you look at the calendar. This is where I can get in. This is where I can play. That's all it's about. It's not really about politics from the individual player perspective. Now, certainly from the WTA perspective, that's a whole different can of worms at the moment. And as you and I discussed, Mark, and it seems to be the case with with, with Steve Simon and the WTA, doesn't look like anything's going to change uh, in the immediate future. And obviously China's going, you guys know, with the lockdowns and so on. I don't think there'll be any, any tournaments there anyway uh, because of that. On the men's side, that's where it's interesting. You know, what's going to happen there? Uh, because the men have sort of, you know, not taken a strong stand either way uh, on this topic. But I, I've, it doesn't seem to me there's going to be any men's tournaments in China anytime soon anyway. No, now, 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 some of the players, some of the male players, definitely initially stood up for Pang. Like, I don't know if it's still top of mind for them. I'm ima- imagining not, but uh, that you know, the tour was was pretty weak in their response. But some of the players did kind of you know stand up and support and, uh, alongside their female counterparts. Does that ultimately matter? Was there enough of a groundswell of support there, or like you said, are they gonna? In golf, we're seeing basically Saudi money is now is changing completely the direction. Are the players just going to be, well, you know, we said our thing and shrug of the shoulders, on we go? I think it would be more towards that direction, I would guess. Um, you know, the players, you know, they're thinking about a lot of other things right now. I mean, I'm, I'm still thinking about Peng Shui. That's why I you know, got Steve Simon on. So it's, it's certainly not as prevalent in the news cycle here. And, you know, now that, you know, now you've got the issue with Wimbledon and the Russian and Belarusian players, that's obviously hugely controversial. Uh, I think the Peng Shui uh, story, if she emerges again, like the rumor, you know, she's going to go to Lausanne, Lausanne, you know, to to go to the headquarters of the IOC and there's a women's uh, 250 event there. That could be interesting. So that will bring attention back. But I think that... um, as far as affecting whether the players them, it's more about the tour, because the tour will make the decision as opposed to you know the, the players are just simply individuals that kind of go along yeah. with what the tour tells them to do. But but there's still going to be questions about Pung and what's going on with her, and certainly if she makes another public appearance. How much of the two tours? you know, in conversation about this, you know, how much is it on their agenda? And and you said, you know, there's, there's no immediate resolution from what you can tell from Steve Simon. Can you see from talking to him either on or off the record that medium to long term, they could move past this? Because quite frankly, there's not going to be an investigation, right? China's not going to allow an investigation. So there's going to have to be, if there's a resolution, it's going to have to be something else. Can you see that happening? And, and how much would it impact if the WTA s- stays firm and, and stays out of China? Would that, how much would that impact the, the ATP? Okay, so my reading on the first part of your question is that I believe that the WTA is looking for a solution, a, a long-term solution 
I believe they've they've made their point. They're going to stick to their guns as far as um, not going back to China until they can come up with some sort of agreement. Now, as you're saying, they're not going to get an investigation. Okay, um, if they don't get anything from the Chinese government or anything that they can say they've gotten, I believe they yeah. won't come back. Okay, they'll yeah. have to stick to their guns. I believe you know, both parties will, will want to find a way to, you know, whether it's in a year or two, you know, you said three years um, for this to happen. As far as the ATP is concerned, um, the two tours do speak, but they're pretty much their own entities. Um, and, you know, there's, there's, there's been talk over the years about the tours, you know, even when the pandemic first hit, you remember when Roger Federer and some others and, you know, Billie Jean King are outspoken about, you know, the tour should become one, you know, just be one tour, uh, men and women. That didn't go anywhere. Um, and I, my, my suspicion is they've kind of moved not closer together, but slightly further apart. Because, you know, during the pandemic, look, let's be honest, everybody's sort of trying to figure out how to survive, right? Whether you're, you know, professional sports or everybody's, you know, so, so, the WTA had to scramble and, and put their year-end championships in Mexico. This was before the Peng Shui story hit, um, just because the, you know, they weren't allowed back in China for the year-end championships because of the pandemic. So everybody sort of had to just kind of go on the fly and figure, like, how are we going to survive? How are we going to keep our tour going? And so I think that's made them go off in their own direction a little bit more um, and therefore, I think that it's not necessarily going to be the same. I think if if there are tournaments in China this year, at the end of this year, if that's not going to happen, but let's say next year, I believe the men's tour will go, will go back. I don't think the women's tour will go back unless something can happen um, where they can say, you know, because Steve Simon clearly said to me in our interview that he believes generally speaking, that the way you encourage change anywhere around the world is by participating and going to those countries. So he clearly yeah. wasn't of the mindset like, well, we don't agree with the principles, you know, in the, in, in, in the Middle East, right? A lot of the countries there. But he certainly agreed that, uh, didn't agree that we should just not go there. He thought that to participate is the way to, you know, over time enact some sort of change. So I do believe that he's looking for that with China. Yeah, I, I mean, look, it, I think it's easy sometimes to 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 take take those positions and sort of cynically say, well, you know, you're just using that as an excuse to go where the money is. But I think, you know, genuine engagement from a sporting perspective, I, I think that's a valid point. I'd like to think that it is a genuine, right. genuine motivation. And I do believe, particularly with the lack of travel, we've talked about this on the podcast before, you know, just the lack of engagement that, that China and the Chinese people are having with the rest of the world because of the travel restrictions. It's not helping anyone. It's not helping perceptions of China. It's not helping perceptions of other countries from within China. Mm. Uh, and so just, you know, that higher level of engagement, um, I think hopefully, hopefully can, can help. Patrick, I wanted to ask you one thing that you touched on a little bit earlier. Um, you mentioned about the Chinese men and, you know, we haven't basically had any good Chinese men ever. And lots of people have lots of theories for this. You've pro there's probably other countries that maybe have a similar model. Either they're good on the men or on the women's side. Mm. Have you ever kind of had had discussions about this? Any idea why the Chinese women have been so successful, but not the men? 
even even when I ran USTA player development, we had this conversation a lot about uh, American players, and they're obviously a plethora of history and facilities and so on in the United States. So, uh, but here's a couple of thoughts, uh, and this is similar to what I discussed a little bit earlier with you um, in in training for tennis. Is basically you you need to be training against better players than you for the you know to to progress. And if you're in China, where there's just not that many uh, male players, okay, um, it, let's say you let's say you're 15 and you're the best kid in China, the best boy, and you're maybe at 15, you might be better than everybody else. What, what are you going to do? You can't. You, you got to go somewhere. And if you're a girl, let's say you're a four, 12, 13, 14 year old girl, and you live in Wuhan or you live in your province, wherever you live. And, or anywhere in the world. This could be anywhere. This is not just China. This is anywhere. And you're better than everybody, all the other girls. Well, you could still play with boys, right, that are better than you, okay? Uh, because the boys, yeah. you know, generally as you get older, you know, the, the gap becomes a little wider between girls and boys, you know, their level. So if you're a great 15-year-old girl, you could play with really good 18-year-old boys, no problem. In other words, you're playing against somebody that's slightly better than you, probably. And I think in China, um, I don't know what they've done, you know, with uh, sending away their top young prospects uh, at a young age, and like we discussed with Nishikori. Um, but that, to me, is certainly part of the, f the factor in it. Uh, I don't know. I mean, other than that, it's, it's hard to say because... Uh, why? Because they've obviously put a lot of money and resources into it. Um, you, you know, in men's tennis, and this is true anywhere in the world, even in our country, where, um, you know, we've been getting a lot of heat. How come you don't have any great play male players? And meanwhile, we've got, you know, Venus, Serena, uh, and then coming along, Keys, Stevens, Anisimova, Bellis, Coco Goff now, you know, Daniel, Con you know, they just keep coming, you know, Grand Slam final. Jennifer Brady, I mean, they come out of the woodworks, right? We, we, we could get one male player to get to a final. would be, like, amazing. Yeah. Um, so it's, in, in men's tennis, and it's becoming more so in women's tennis too, but it's, it, it's, it's more advanced physically, like the physicality and the athleticism needed to become an elite male professional tennis player. Um, it's getting to that point now in women's tennis as well. You know, I used to say like, like me, for example, I got to top 30 in the world. I was a, I was a great tennis player, but I was a mediocre athlete, you know, as far as my speed, my, my, my power and so on. My brother was a great athlete and a great tennis player. Right. And so nowadays it would be, I would say probably harder for me to get to number 28 in the world. With, without being a great athlete and certainly get to the top, you need that. Whereas you, 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 there's still, in women's tennis, you can still see a few that are just great tennis players that are maybe not amazing athletes that can get close to the top. Again, that's starting to change now with just the evolution of the game, um, the speed and the power. Um, and I think that could be a factor as well in, in why you haven't seen Chinese men um, develop in the same way that the Chinese women have over the last 15 to 20 years.
Patrick, I just want to thank you so much uh, for your time and hugely appreciative of the two of us. Uh, I have to say, Haig is uh, is much more knowledgeable about tennis, and, I, and I'm sure he's been itching to ask you a thousand questions. But Haig, I'm going to throw it over to you for uh, for a final one. Actually, I have a non-China tennis question because uh, you know I've been watching the French Open. Something that people are talking about right now is that non-handshake between uh, Rude and Rune. I don't know if you saw that. I don't. I don't know what the beef is. And I was just sort of thinking, you know, I, I don't. I don't want to dump on the Scandinavians. The Scandinavians are great, but I wanted to ask you: uh, Did you have any beefs with any other players when what, you know in your playing days? And and. Are there, how did you resolve them? And, and are there any that are maybe even still not resolved? Hey, that's, that's a great question. You know, as soon as I saw that happen, okay, when Rune just kind of gave him, we call it the blow-by. Um, I was like, whoa, that, that's not cool. Okay, so there's, there's a few unwritten rules in tennis, you know, particularly when you get to the professional level, right? And there's a respect level. You know, when you get the new balls, you know, you show your opponent the new balls. There's no rule that says you have to do that. Um, you know, you, you look your opponent in the eye when you shake hands. Um, there's, a, there, there's certain things that, you know, like when you, you know, you see, I see a lot of junior tennis and the behavior is, you know, a lot of times horrendous. And what, when, you, when you get to the pros, like, you know, like we said, what we would say about Rune at that moment was, he acted like a junior. You know what I'm saying? And I don't know what went on between them. It doesn't matter. Uh, I, I can tell you that Rude is a class guy, you know, from what I know about him. And, uh, you know, we, we played with him in, in the Labor Cup. Great guy. I mean, again, I don't know these players that well personally, but I'm just telling you the, the respect that someone like that guy has in the locker room is huge. Okay? And you earn that respect. And part of the way you earn that respect is by, hey, man, Great match. You, know, you look him in the eye. You give him a little hug or a little, you know. If you, have a, if you had an issue with his, his camp or your team, you know, you might say, hey, man, your camp, you know, they shouldn't have said that or whatever. You, you deal that in the locker room. I remember, look, if you, to your point about me, I, I got my ass kicked many times by Andre Agassi, okay, many times. And one time we were playing in Canada at the Canadian Open, and he could beat me two and two in his sleep, you know. And he was beating the crap out of me, and he was kind of toying with me a little bit, you know. And this is another thing you don't do. You don't, you don't show the crowd that you are toying with your opponent at, a, at this level, okay? <laughs> Ent entertainment, just, surely. Yeah, so I, <laughs> I, just, I literally said to him on a changeover, I said, Andre, this is bullshit, okay? Just beat the shit out of me. You know, just beat me six two six one. It's okay, but don't do this. And he apologized after the match in the locker room. He apologized. And the 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 other thing I can tell you that I was a part of was when Djokovic was first coming up, and he played Andy Roddick at the U.S. Open, and Roddick was like the big man on campus. Djokovic was a young up and comer, and there was a lot going on in the match. And I was coaching Roddick at that year's Open because he had asked me to help him. He didn't was in the middle of changing coaches and I was a Davis Cup captain. Anyway, long story short, they got, you know, there was a, a lot of tension. It was a night match. Um, Roddick had made some comments about Djokovic sort of faking injuries and getting sick or, you know, and then Djokovic in the interview on court made some reference to it in his on court interview. And Roddick was already in the locker room and he heard it 
and he was livid. And when Djokovic came in the locker room, they, they kind of went at it, you know, face to face. Um, and basically what Roddick said to him is like, you don't do that. Like, you're, you're too good. Like, like we're, 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 we're competitors, right? But we're in this together. At a, when you get to that level, there's a respect for the game and for the opponent that's different. And Rune is going to have to learn that. Uh, that's what I took out of that. I think he will because he seems like a great kid and he's got an amazing talent. Um, uh, but that's, to me, sort of this story behind the story, Hey, of what goes on. And, and, you know, when you get to the pros, you're like, you know, a kid like Rune, he's just out of the juniors and the pros. Like, who's this cocky kid? You know, we got to put him in his place. And, and, and usually they get put in their place, but in a good way. Because you don't want to be, you know, in the tennis world, it, we're a very small world. It's a very, it's a traveling circus. You know, we're all, we're, we're travel together. So if you don't get along with the other players, it's a very tough existence and a lonely existence and no fun. So I think that's what that was all about. Uh, Patrick, a great note to, to finish on. Thank you so much for your time. I know you're, you're busy. We've got the Nadal game uh, starting soon, so we'll let you go. Uh, but uh, be in touch, and uh, we'll talk again soon. I appreciate you guys having me. All the best. Thank care. Thank you to Patrick McEnroe. That was a lot of fun. If you want to get in touch with us, Twitter is probably the best way. You can find Mark at Dreyer China. That's D-R-E-Y-E-R China. And I'm at Haig Balian. That's H-A-I-G-B-A-L-I-A-N. We will be back next week. Thanks for listening.